Okay, we started a new series last week about what makes you happy. And what we think makes us happy doesn't always make us happy. Food, uh, technology, uh, money, and so forth. We're going to talk about money, I think, in two weeks from now. So, today's topic is plan for it. Quick review, for those you missed last week, or for all of us, (laughs) to renew our minds. Uh, Happiness is more about a who than a what. That's what we talked about last week. Um, Physical things tend to be what we call caffeine happiness. That means they're short-term. They don't last. They can bring up a sense of joy or peace or happiness, but uh, it diminishes over time. People is different. And I talk about my marriage. Once upon a time, I wasn't happily married. I'm very happily married now as my relationship with my wife has grown over the years. So happiness more likely than not, is about who's than what's. Then we talked a lot about peace last week. And people that are happy are at peace in three different areas of their lives. They're at peace with themselves, or they understand, they're comfortable in their own skin, they know how God created them, what God created them for. They're at peace with others. We'll talk about being peacemakers uh, this morning. But they reconcile differences in relationships. And then, of course, Uh, peace with God. And peace with God helps us have peace in the other two areas. Dilemma we tried to address last week, especially if you've kind of been in church for a long time, is this concept where I can either be religious or I can be happy, but I can't be both. On your outline, I put it this way. God doesn't really want us to be happy, just wants us to be holy. And if I'm holy, I'm not going to be happy. Now, somehow the church is... taught this over the years, and it's absolutely false. It's not true. In fact, it's the opposite of what is true. And that's why we're we're studying this in this series. The more holy we are, the closer we are to God, the more we like Jesus, the happier we will be. God created us. He created us the capacity to be happy. And who knows better than how to make us happy than God himself. So, how do we define it? How would we define it? Well, Jesus knows we don't know how to make ourselves happy. So we're going to look at the opening of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to start off by saying, not telling people they don't know they're happy, but I'm going to tell you, even though you're not asked me, how to be happy. Now we call this part of the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes, or attitudes to be. I've heard them called the beautiful attitudes. Um, they're, not a, they're not a to-do list, if there's eight things, but it's not a to-do list, but it's uh, what will be reflected in our lives if we do what Jesus talks about. Now, preacher types like myself are tempted, well, we just ought to talk about this for eight weeks, right? I'll take one this week, one the next week, one the next week. But we're not going to do it that way. In fact, Jesus went right through them. So we're going through them pretty quickly. Um, they're going to start with blessed. So we need to understand what that word means. And blessed can be translated either fortunate or happy. Some Bible translations will say happy are. Uh, it can be peace. It can be peacefulness. It can be hopefulness. Um, all these words combined uh, is what Jesus wants to talk about. Now, instead of drilling down and spending a lot of time on each of these eight, here's what I want you to look for. After we're finished, I'm going to ask you, what do all these things have in common? 
What's the bottom line to happiness according to Jesus? And who would know better than Jesus? What insight can we draw from it? And initially they're going to seem counterintuitive. They're going to seem countercultural. They are countercultural, most of them. Uh, but Jesus is brilliant. And as we think about these, and we'll talk about them for a few minutes, they're just going to say, yes, Jesus, you know what you're talking about. Of course he does. You know how to make us happy or for us to be happy. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day as he saw the crowds gather, Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down. Okay? He'd, because of his teaching and because of his miracles, Jesus was drawing a crowd. Plus, he didn't have much competition. There wasn't, there wasn't the internet and TV back then, right? <laughs> so this, he was entertaining, I guess you might say. And so he, people came to listen. I can imagine, we don't know how long he spoke, but he could have, other times he spoke all day long or all afternoon. Uh, so people came and sat and listened on this hillside. His disciples were also gathered around him, and he began to teach them. <clears throat> now, as we look at these, we tend to think, especially in most of the translations of Scripture, it's about us. We are blessed by doing this and about doing that. The original Greek, the object of these sentences is not us, it's God. So the translation that I'm using, good uh, New Living Translation, is going to start with the word God, because it's more about God than it is about us. So, let's get started. There's eight of these, uh, so we'll spend a minute or two in each one, right? God blesses those, God blesses those, who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is there. Now, He got the attention of His whole audience immediately by saying this, because this was complete opposite of their theology. We would say old Jewish Old Testament theology. They were taught the richer you are, the more God liked you and the more God blessed you. And so most of his audience was probably poor and they would think, well, God doesn't really care about us. God isn't going to bless us because we're poor. So Jesus says, okay, guess what? God blesses the poor. Those who realize their need for him. So there's physically poor and spiritually poor. He says, for, theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So he, so he does away with this myth immediately. So what's he talking about? I think the best way for us to understand it is complete dependence. I'm completely dependent on God. In the physical realm is certainly in the spiritual realm, right? For me to be uh, my sins forgiven and have a personal relationship with God, I'm completely dependent upon God. It's a gift. Um, not of anything that I would have done. So here's the problem with the way we approach happiness often. The moment we trust, this is on your outline, the moment we trust, or transfer our trust, excuse me, from God to, I put the word riches, could it be riches, it could be your intelligence, it could be your education, it could be to your family. Anyway, any place we transfer our trust away from God, we become unhappy. We're depending on ourselves, on our abilities. The reason is this, and I'll put this on your outline too. The reason it makes us unhappy is this. Suddenly, once we transfer that trust, it's up to me, up to you, to control outcomes. Control what's going to happen. Now, let me ask you, can any of you control outcomes? 
Anybody want to raise their hand? You and I can't control outcomes. But as soon as we start putting in trust in us and our abilities, we are saying, it's up to me to control it, and we can't control it. So consequently, ultimately, we're not going to be happy. We're going to be unhappy. So acknowledge that all my provision I'm, is completely on God. For every breath I take, I'm, I'm dependent on God. He's provided everything that I have. So, if you and I want to be happy, first he says, be poor. That's different. Secondly, God blesses those who mourn. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Mourning and, and happy are just opposites, aren't they? <laughs> For they will be comforted. Now, mourning is a part of life. It's a necessary part of life. It's an important part of life. I should mourn for those who are are, are, are suffering, either the physically suffering, people that have died, people that are persecuted, people that are hungry, uh, people that are sick. I should be, I like this term, emotionally connected to people that aren't as fortunate as I am. So, I, in one sense, I am mourning with them, but I also can have a sense of happiness or peace or contentment. I understand that that's part of life. That dying is part of life. Just as living or being born is. And um, sin causes suffering. So consequently, mankind's greatest fear, according to statistics, is what? Right now? Fear of dying. Fear of dying. So consequently, put on your outline this. If the fear of dying will rob you for the joy of living. So how most, most people approach dying? Most people don't want to think about it. In fact, I've, I've noticed I've been a pastor a long time, and used to when somebody died, there would be a viewing for probably two nights, and then another day there would be a funeral. Now at most there'll be a viewing one night and a funeral the next night. Sometimes there's a viewing without a funeral. Sometimes there's no viewing, just a funeral. Sometimes there's neither. And it's kind of like in our culture, we want to deny the fact that we're going to die someday. And Jesus says, no, you can't be happy that way. The fear of dying will rob you of the joy of living. So happy are those who mourn, that understand that life has a beginning and an end, and you're going to die, and consequently, be prepared for death. Uh, third one. Another one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now think about this way. Those of you who have daughters or granddaughters, um, when they're looking for a future husband, are you telling them, I want you to find a meek guy? That's the top of my list. Anybody? I have a daughter. I got some granddaughters. That's not at the top of my list. You know why? Because we don't think it's that desirable, do we? We think it's actually weakness. And it's actually not. The best um, description of meekness I've ever heard, it's a, a wild horse that has been tamed. So consequently, it's meek. Has any of that strength of that horse gone? No, it's just controlled. It's controlled strength. That's what meekness is. We talked about self-control last week, about how difficult it is, right? Or two weeks ago. So a meek person is somebody that has controlled strength. Here's a definition, a proper estimation or evaluation of oneself. So I understand who I am. 
I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I do my best with what I have. Um, so, you want to be happy? Jesus says, happy are the meek. He goes on. God blesses those. God blesses those. Next one. Who are hunger and thirst for, this translation says justice or righteousness or for doing what's right. Your desire, your hunger, your thirst is for, for right to happen, to do right, to do what is right. So, we talked last week about the fact that sin does two things, two negative things to us. Uh, happy are those then that, the people that recognize that sin does two things, separates and substitutes. It separates something good for something it's not as, or it separates people. It separates us from God. And it, separa- it substitutes things that are not as good for things that are better. We might use the word counterfeit. It seems to be good. It seems to be valuable. But ultimately, it's not of value. So here's a good way to think about it, I, th- I would guess. Does doing the wrong thing make you happy? He said hunger and thirst for doing the right thing will make you happy. Does doing the wrong thing make you happy? I don't know about you, when I do the wrong thing, especially <laughs> accidentally, you know, I, I tried to do the right thing, but I did the wrong thing, then I'm sorry I did that. I regret that. And then sometimes we deliberately do the wrong thing, don't we? I mean, we certainly should regret that. Think about it this way. If you could go back, the teenagers already left, so we don't have anybody in school in here. Um, if you could go back to high school and redo it, would your goal to be, I'm going to go back to high school and do more wrong things than I did the first time through? No, I'm going to think about the regrets I had from high school, the things I did that I <laughs> shouldn't have done, I wish I hadn't done, and I would try and correct them the next time through. Of course, you can't redo it, can you? Or maybe young adulthood, when you, if you went to college or if you're in the military, uh, you're going to go back and say, okay, I'm going to do more wrong things than I did the first time through. No, because you realize that doing wrong things doesn't make you happy. So Jesus said, happy are those who hunger and thirst. Their desire is for, to do right and things to be right. He goes on. God blesses who? Those who are merciful. Shall they be shown mercy? What is mercy? I think of mercy this way. It's giving what someone doesn't deserve. It's like a judge who says, okay, you deserve five years in prison. I'm going to let you off. He's being merciful, right? So we're merciful in our relationships. Um, So I'm quick to forgive. I'm not giving you what you deserve. Maybe you deserve, you've been unkind to me. You deserve for me to be unkind to you. But no, I'm going to be kind to you. I put it on your outline this way. Relationally generous. I'm generous in my relationship. You may be unkind to me, but I'm going to love you anyway. You may not forgive me, but I'm going to forgive you anyway. Think about this way. Do you know any happy, bitter people? Happy, revengeful people? Are you happy when you're bitter or revengeful? So again, not giving people what they deserve. So happy are people that are relationally generous or merciful. Now, I don't know about you, if you're a Jesus follower, 
you probably have this desire. If not, uh, we're glad you're, you're here or, or watching. If you're a Jesus follower, don't you want to know what God is doing, what God is up to? We say it this way, wouldn't you like to see what God is doing, understand what God is doing, especially in a crazy world we live, right? So Jesus said, happy people can do that. How can they do that? Well, God blesses those whose hearts are pure because when our hearts are pure, what happens? We get to see God. We see God at work. We see what God is up to. And we've all had those instances in our lives where we said, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I see that? Why didn't I understand or realize that's what was going to happen? So Jesus says, if your hearts are pure, if you're morally pure, now none of us are perfect, but morally pure, that's your desire. It's completely opposite of our culture, right? Because that's not the desire of our culture. But a benefit of that is seeing God at work, and seeing God at work certainly would make us, or should make us happy. I put it on your outline this way. Vision depends on character. I know some of us are old enough to remember back when uh, Clinton was president. Remember this debate? Does character matter? Because he wasn't a man of high character. And culture said, it eh, doesn't really matter. He won a second term, right? Well, Jesus is saying... <laughs> Character matters if you want to see God at work in your life, other people's work, lives, in the world. And consequently, <laughs> uh, you have to have character or moral, moral ethics. And there's a principle here that I try and live by. I don't have to experience everything that life has to offer to understand life. I don't have to commit adultery against my wife to understand that's a bad thing to do. Jesus tells me that's a bad thing to do. Most of you know I've never gotten drunk. I've never had to get drunk to realize, eh, I don't think I want to get drunk. That's not a good outcome that I want to have. Um, so you don't have to do everything in life to understand life. In fact, it's better if you can understand without suffering the consequences. Learning the hard way, sometimes we say it, right? So, Jesus said, seek to be uh, moral, be pure, and another word, be clarity. You will have clarity. You will see God. He goes on. Happy. God said, God's going to bless you if you work for peace. Now, this one we kind of, hey, that makes sense, right? For they will be called children of God. People that work to show, how peop show people how to cooperate with one another, how to be reconciled, be reconcilers, who um, you know, work for peace in outside other people's relationship, work for peace in their own relationships. Flip side of this, do, do you know any happy troublemakers? Anybody? Happy troublemakers? No. Troublemakers are what? They're unhappy, so they want what? They want everybody else to be unhappy. Um, Joyce Myers, some of you might know, is uh, a lady teaches, a Bible teacher. And uh, she t test, gives this testimony that early on in her marriage, she was unhappy. And her husband was happy. And it kind of driving her crazy. So she made her goal in life, I'm going to make him unhappy as I'm unhappy. 
And so time goes on, and he, he's still happy. So one day he comes to her and says, Joyce, I'm sorry you're unhappy, but you're not going to destroy my happiness. And then she began to realize that she had the option to be happy. And of course, she remained and became happily married. So happy are who? Peacemakers. That makes sense. Now, we're going to get to the last one. Everybody's going to say, what, Jesus? Okay, I went kind of following you up to now, but you've, you've kind of went off the deep end with this last one. So what's the last one? God blesses those who are persecuted. Uh, that's not, that doesn't make me happy to be persecuted. Even though we just studied a couple of weeks ago, the early church, they came back rejoicing that they were able to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. But in our mindset today, we, we don't think of the two together, do we? But there's a caveat here. He said not just being persecuted. He said being persecuted for doing right. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Not for doing wrong. We all suffer consequences for doing wrong. Which, you know, part of life. So I think he gives us this amazing insight. Jesus is so brilliant. And here's how I put it on your outline. You and I are going to suffer in this life. Right? Nobody's going to argue with that. We're going to suffer for doing right, and we're going to suffer for doing wrong. But there's a difference, isn't there? You only can be happy on one side of that equation when you suffer for doing right. Suffer for doing wrong, no, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be at peace. So, happy people can even suffer, but suffer for doing what's right. Okay, so we, co we covered all eight of them. I did pretty quickly, right? So, what do all these things have in common? What's Jesus saying? Okay, I give you eight examples, but boil it all down. What's your takeaway? How can you and I be happy? And I'm going to give you a couple of ways I think he was uh, trying to tell, tell us. Happiness is ultimately an outcome. God says, I'll you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be happy. All right? So you have to do something. I put it on the outline this way too. Happiness is about something now that leads to something later. Which means what? It means, and this is on your outline also, happiness is not immediately accessible. So if you're unhappy right now, I can't snap my fingers, you can't snap your fingers and say, okay, now I'm happy. It's a process. In fact, I, I like this, this terminology here. You sow and then you reap your way to happiness. So I've got to plant something now, those things that Jesus talked about, to reap happiness. So I've got to sow uh, meekness and I've got to sow uh, mercy, and I've got to sow uh, hunger and thirsting for what's right if I want to eventually have or reap happiness. Now, this is great news, right? You and I have more control over our happiness than we probably thought. The downside of this is you and I can also sow and reap our way to unhappiness. In fact, if you're unhappy, You've done some sowing that produced that unhappiness, right? But the good news is we can figure out what to sow to reap happiness. So 
Again, this is the beginning. This is the introduction of the sermon we call Sermon on the Mount. And any good teaching needs an application at the end. So what was Jesus' application? After he talked about all this stuff, loving your enemies, all kinds of stuff, the Lord's Prayer is in there. He gets to the end, he tells this little story. So we're just going to look at two contrasting parts of the story. Anyone who listens to my teaching, so I've just read part of it, you've heard it. Uh, We've all probably heard it in the past. The people sitting there heard it. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Remember we say our goal is following Jesus. (laughs) Follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, building a house takes time. In their culture, building a house on rock took more time. It was more work, more expense. So some people did it. Other people that weren't so wise would build, not build it on the rock because storms come, persecution comes, trouble comes. Right? So when the storm comes to this guy, his house is fine. No regrets. Some people do what? Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds his house on the sand and when the floods came, or the difficulties came, it was destroyed. Regrets. He was only left with regrets. Now here's the point. You and I, this is really important because most of us, I preach sermons, you come and listen to sermons, I listen to other people's sermons, I read other stuff. You and I get no credit for hearing or reading or listening. The benefit, the credit only comes through what? Doing it. Obeying it. That's when the benefits come. So, reviewing real quickly, happiness is an outcome. It's not instantaneous. But you and I can do what? We can sow things now. Jesus gave, eight, gave us eight of them. There's eight. Jesus gave us eight of them. Things that we and I, we can, you and I can sow now to reap happiness. And if you're a happy person, you can go back and look at your life. I can almost guarantee you, you've sown some of those things. So, Jesus, what makes a person happy? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Two things we've covered so far. First thing is, no thing. It's more about whose than what. And secondly, sowing, doing things now that will result in happiness later. So here's your homework assignment, if you will. Are you planning or sowing now for your future happiness? Whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally or uh, financially, are you doing things now that will ensure your future happiness. And if one of those areas or some of those areas you're not, start. Because Jesus wants you happy. There's your text for next week. Let me pray with you and then I'll let you go. Father God, thank you so much for this word of yours, the wisdom that's here. I would pray that you give us the strength and the courage and the, the smarts to actually do these things, to, to sow some of these things so we ensure our future happiness. Um, God, I pray for any person here that's not Jesus' follower, never stepped across the line yet. 
trying to try and figure this all out. Help them understand that one of your, their barriers may be that they think that I'm going to give up ha- being happy to be a Jesus follower. It's anything but true. True happiness, joy, peace, and contentment, whatever words you want to use, only come through you, Jesus. Because we have forgiveness for our sins and we can forgive ourselves for the stupid stuff we've done. And we, can, we know that you love us and you'll have a place for us in heaven when we die. Um, God, use us. One of the ways that make us happy that we didn't talk about today is that when you use us, we can be your hands and feet. We can help people understand and come to you, God. So use us this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.